Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So nice to have you with me today. Happy Monday. I hope your weekend was good. I'm going to bring on Patrick Albanese in just a minute, and then the Monday afternoon mix is going to be all part of hour one with plenty of surprises in hour two. I won't even tease you quite yet, but it's going to be a great show. I've been working on it all day, and I hope you're ready for it. And I'm looking forward to uh, spending these next two hours with you, or however much time you have available uh, to be with us uh, today. If you are a new listener to Faith Radio, head over to MyFaithRadio.com. You can check out all there is to know about our our station, and I think we've even got a, a welcome packet for you. If you'd like to request it, you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Patrick Albanese uh, always starts my week off because we like to start off a little bit on the light side. He is a, a performer, comedian, magician. He lives in the great state of Iowa and the prestigious city of West Des Moines. Patrick, Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. You yeah, know, it's before I moved uh, to Iowa uh, when I was uh, doing all of these entertainment-related things. I lived in Los Angeles, and I would always tell people, "I'm just doing this till my restaurant uh, uh, waiting tables career takes off," which was kind of a classic flip on the old, you know, everybody out there is a waiter waiting to get into the business. <laughs> I was in the business. I'd say, "I'm just doing this until I can, you know, get that uh, that table waiting job." Well, I would which say, which I did. I have done that. Which yeah. was a great job. I actually. would say your dream could come true right now because every restaurant is looking for servers. Oh, we ate at a restaurant the other day called Noah's Ark of all things. They only have two of every item. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wouldn't. But, laugh. I wish I wouldn't have laughed at that. I, I, I did. I, you know, I, I would have warned you ahead of time. I didn't know that that was <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that that joke was on the way. Huh? But uh, so um, they've been open, you know, for uh, for a while. And I, I talked to the uh, manager uh, because they were had their hours were reduced. And I said, "Well, why aren't you open fully?" She says, "Well, we can't get the staff to come back." I said, well, why won't the staff come back? She says, they're making too much money staying home. Mm. And uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, they they had help wanted signs all over the place, and they were desperate um, to, to get people to come in and work. And, you know, it, this is a restaurant that's been there since, I think, 78 years it's been there, 78 years. Wow. And struggling – not, uh, you know, financially, you know, for business, just struggling uh, to be able to be open enough hours to pay all the bills because they can't get people to come back to work. That's nuts. So that's a problem. Yeah, it's but crazy, there's isn't it? So many industries trying to return to some semblance of normalcy. You think of the even the healthcare. Unfortunately, they're understaffed as well, and they're right now getting a whole bunch of uh, fairly sick people showing up who have deferred health care for months because of um, uh, COVID. And, you know, yeah. this, these poor uh, caregivers are, are exhausted. And then you throw in a wave of um, everything else that's going on with uh, violence that's going on in the, in the world and um, fatigue yeah. and burnout. And you've got a uh, health care crisis part two. 
part, yeah, and I think we're just going to keep, we seem to keep rinsing and repeating. I saw a, a World Health Organization uh, recommendation today that uh, I, I guess they're trying to take us back to, um, you know, they're saying, you know, even if you've been vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera, we're, we're recommending going back to full masking and uh, even suggesting some uh, some closures. And I mean, the numbers are down, 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 down. And you think, why are we doing this again? <laughs> are we really going to do this again? So uh, I know you have to kind of stay alert because maybe they're going to start recommending that again. And I, I don't know why. Everybody seems to be doing well, but that can only speak anecdotally, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my little small circle. Although I did speak to, I did I tell you I spoke to a doctor from Chicago who was on the front lines uh, uh, during COVID. And uh, she, I mean, she was there every day working crazy hours for the last year and finally had a, a break. Uh, but uh, I said, you know, did you have a, an idea uh, when people were coming in of, you know, who was going to make it, who was not going to make it? And she said, we knew you could, you could, you could usually tell. Uh, and she said, you know, uh, sadly, you know, the, the people that were most succumbing, you know, we all know this now we're, we're older with a lot of, uh, comorbidities. Mm -hmm. And she said, and a lot of people with diabetes, she said, there's something that happens, you know, with people with diabetes, and I think it had to do with an insulin process or something in the pancreas. I don't know what it was mm -hmm. because she spoke doctor speak. Yeah. <laughs> Not my forte. But uh, so they, you know, they they started to get an idea of, of who was being affected by it. And, uh, you know, I, I only wish from the get go we would have. Now, there's a lot of stuff I wish we would have known, but that would have been very helpful because we could have put all of our focus into helping the most vulnerable. Yeah. I went in to get my uh, glasses adjusted. I just needed a small tweak, which is usually what you need after you sit on them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, the well, sign at this optometry store says that, you know, the mask mandate is still in place here. So we ask you to continue to wear a mask. And I went in there and the woman who helped me didn't have a mask on. So it just kind of get those mixed messages. But she yeah. fixed my glasses, so I'm happy. I had a dentist appointment today. Well, you know, now, I think, was it me that broke your glasses the last time? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think we, we had gone to the gym, and you said, here, let's toss this medicine ball around. <laughs> and I believe, I believe I might have set you up for a stitch or two. No, it was well. a small cut, but it was not a stitch. Yeah, I broke yeah. your glasses. Thank and, you very much. And, and, uh, yeah, I know. I said we were playing a scene out of Rocky. <laughs> cut me, you cut me. Uh, yeah, I, I went into the dentist today, and they had emailed me uh, some instructions that said, you know, when you get to the parking lot, you know, call us from the parking lot before we come get you, and then you know we're gonna do. They had the email was uh, their typical response, their former protocols, and they take your temperature. You came in with a mask once the office was cleared from anybody else, and so I, I called. And I said, uh, hey, I'm here. And they said, come on in. Okay. Said, okay. Anything else? And they said, nope. I said, the mask? They said, it's up to you. And they were still wearing masks. Uh, but, I, you know, I talked to my dentist in the past, and she said, you know, this is going to be kind of our new protocol because we realize this is just actually good for us. We're dealing with people with open mouths all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out, <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, um, germs can spread that way. Yeah. 
So uh, they said, this is kind of actually a nice, healthy protocol for us. We, we've just, you know, everybody stayed healthier here. So we're going to kind of stick with that. Yeah, I was just at my dentist last week, and he said, I need a crown. And then, you know, they dropped the price of a crown, and you think, well, how much for a tiara? Right. (laughs) I don't want an actual (laughs) crown. How many jewels are in this actual crown? Yeah, that's a very expensive procedure. And it's kind of a fake tooth that's permanent, but eh, whatever. You don't have any crowns, do you? I have no crowns. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have no cracked teeth. In fact, I, I went in today. I said, I think I have a cavity. And they said, no, nah, you don't. You don't even have that. Wow. Uh, it just turned out I had a, I had a sinus problem and the sinuses were pushing on uh, the nerves and made me think I had tooth problems. Mm. And I did not. In fact, I was upgraded today. My my gum health has improved since yeah. my last visit. That's too I much information. Many people can boast of that. Yeah, that's a little too much information. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to other topics. Um I don't know. If, can yeah. you figure this out at all? I'm so confused. Here is a headline Sunday in the Star Tribune, which is the Minneapolis paper. In time of greatest need, Minneapolis struggles to recruit new police officers. Well, how huh. could that possibly uh, be? I don't know. It's, 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 that's not because they're earning more money staying. No, that's Noah's Ark, the restaurant. Yeah. Um, Who wants to be a police well, officer nowadays? You know, it's it's uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, where you fall on the spectrum of the whole Derek Chauvin uh, mess, disaster. Um, you know, uh, the jury has spoken, and uh, right. he's facing a long prison term, and 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 bad things happen that day. I think what the police are responding to is, uh, you know, not that they expected the police department to defend his actions. But boy, did they seem to run and hide and say, have at the cops uh, and we will hold them accountable for anything that happens, no matter what you do. And I think that might have scared off a few uh, a few possible recruits. And I mean, didn't your retirement numbers go through the roof? Yeah, they they did. But I looked at what's going on in New York and Manhattan. I think uh, uh, the mayor de Blasio cut a billion dollars from the budget. And now they're talking about flooding uh, that town, Manhattan, with uh, uniformed police officers because they need to have a police presence for safety. Well, where are you going to get the money for that? I don't. Don't ask me. Like, yeah, I'm see, saving up for thing... my crown. <laughs> yeah, if the town gets any more violent, you're going to need more than one of those. Right? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it seems to be there's a, a cycle that happens that, in a way, you you defund. Let's say you defund the police, you divert the money, you send it somewhere else, and then the town becomes more dangerous, and people say, we need more police, and they say, well, we're going to have to raise the taxes again, and then we just repeat this cycle over and over again. Um, I I, I went through that in Los Angeles, where it wasn't a defunding thing, but they tied the hands of the police. Uh, First, they said, we've got to get rid of all these drug problems that we have. It's creating violence, and we have street gangs, and they said, okay, that's going to be kind of hard. We're going to have to start putting people in jail, and when they did, people complained about that, so they backed off on that, and uh, then police officers quit because it was too hard to police, and then we had to raise the budget, and I said, it's a cycle. It's just, I think, you know, sometimes I wonder if they care as much about our safety as they do about just, you know, feeding their pet projects and mm-hmm. wherever they get the money from. It's like, well, we'll come back and get some more later from you. <laughs> uh, when, you're, when your town becomes too dangerous, you'll mm-hmm. say, we'll pay any price. Yeah. 
So, All right, let me take a little break. Patrick Albanese is my guest. We will uh, be back in 90 seconds. I could, I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. That song means that Patrick Albanese is my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. So, Patrick, at what age did you let your kids play with an iPad? Uh, Young? Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Oh, oh. Oh, did we lose Patrick? Yeah, I guess we lost him. Well, it was a very provocative question I asked, and I think it's going to be uh, uh, telling because a woman in the U.K., she let her baby uh, play with her iPad while she made dinner, and the baby, (laughs) who's very young, accidentally, without her knowledge, upgraded her Tesla and it was a $10,000 upgrade. And it's after, they say after 48 hours, this purchase is non-refundable. So she got stuck with a $10,000 upgrade. Uh, compliments of her young child playing with her iPad. Patrick, are you back? Uh, I, I am back. Sorry about yeah, that. I, that's you, right. you told me about that story, and I said, I must look this up. And it, it, it disconnected you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you know how old this child was? Ten months. Okay, so I'm. I, I think I'm struggling a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the woman does happen to be a TikTok star, and her video yes. has now had a, like a, a two million views. Yeah, maybe and, not entirely uh, true. Well, okay. So here, here, here's what you have to do to order the full, <laughs> full service driving option. All you have to do is open the Tesla mobile app, go to the upgrades menu, select the full service driving option, and then hit purchase. <laughs> yeah. So and there you have uh, it. You know, I don't know about you, but I have a harder time navigating through my calendar just to getting to 8 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. somehow a 10 month old did that. And now uh, the other thing is. For me, and this is I'm, this is only for me. I'm 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 doing okay in life, but I'm pretty sure my draft my bank would would send out an overdraft notice <laughs> the minute I made a ten thousand dollar purchase because I do not keep ten thousand dollars lying around in any particular account to purchase an item like this. Yeah. So, uh, but on a positive note, now her car can drive itself because I think she's pretty upset and <laughs> probably should not be behind the wheel of a vehicle. <laughs> yeah, she but should I, take I, advantage I, of those upgrades. Yeah, I, I, because you should not be driving, not when you're this angry. I'm not I, – I, I don't want to say that I think she's lying, but I think she's lying. Okay. <laughs> this might be a clickbait because uh, uh, we clicked. How did it – yeah, I, I I don't know. I I think the other day I was spending ten dollars on something, and I think the uh, the checkout asked me multiple times, "Are you sure you'd like to make this purchase?" 
I said, yes, I would like to make this purchase. So a $10,000 upgrade, it seems to be a, a bit of a flaw in the app that you could swipe a couple of times and spend ten grand that you can't get back. But, but as we talk about electric vehicles, Tesla is an excellent car. They're very expensive. But there was talk that, uh, I think it was Jen Saki you sent me this, that 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations are needed for rural and disadvantaged communities. It's it's the most puzzling thing. It's an awful lot. And so that's, you know, part of their we need trillions of dollars for infrastructure. And so it kind of got me curious. It's like, well, if we need we need 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations, I thought, well, how many gas stations do we have? You know, how does this compare to gas stations? Mm -hmm. So I did a search and I said, how many gas stations are there in the United States? There's 170,000. So one-third as many gas stations. So I go, well, well, then if there's only one-third as many, but they seem to be servicing uh, the number of elect- or gas-powered vehicles, how many gas-powered vehicles are on the road in America? About 300 million. So, okay, well, how many electric vehicles are on the road in America? About 18 million. So you're telling me that we have about one... You know, there's about 18 times more gas-powered vehicles than electric vehicles on the road, but we're going to need three times as many electric charging stations to charge that many fewer vehicles. It didn't make any sense. Plus, you can just plug them into an outlet. You can do that. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't understand why they're talking about putting that many vehicle charging stations. It seems like way too many. And... Uh, then on top of it, it's for rural and disadvantaged communities. So you're talking about a very expensive vehicle in a disadvantaged community. Well, here's your electric power. Should any of you manage to scrape together $70,000 for a car? And as far as rural communities, if, well, you've driven through them. Uh, trucks are the vehicle of choice yeah, on they are. dirt and gravel roads, you know, especially in the winter. Uh, love the Tesla, but I, I, I would not want to take it on a gravel road mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. the middle of winter, you know, in a rural area. You know, I live in Iowa. We have, I am often surprised that uh, I get directions to a place and I'm on a gravel road a lot. Wow. You know, it's uh, once you get out of Des Moines, you know, it's like, oh, I'm in farmland and there are an awful lot of gravel roads here. So, uh, yeah, I, I think a truck is the vehicle of choice. I, I, I don't know, you know, if we're going to try and push these vehicles somewhere, but I guess it's something the government can spend money on. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick, over the weekend, I've been I've been struggling watching some of the news updates of this incident in Miami where this condominium collapsed. And it is oh. just it's just breathtaking to see that there's 159 people yet to be accounted for that are either trapped or dying or have died in this uh, collapse. And it is just so frightening and horrifying. And I've been kind of praying on and off all weekend f- for this recovery process. But uh, how, how long does it take to get this much debris uh, pulled away so they can s- assess who's still there, who might be alive? Well, and I think part of the delay is you having to be so careful uh, on the possibility that you don't create further collapse not just in the building there, but underneath some of the rubble you're moving, should there be people that are oh. hopefully still alive? Right. Uh, and it, it, this happened it was pretty early in the morning, as I recall. One thirty in the morning. You imagine? Yeah. Yeah. 
you, you know, it's, uh, and I remember one of the things that surprised me mentally when I went through my first earthquake in California after, and then, then went through a bunch of them. But uh, I had never had the experience, you know, you, you get home at the end of a day and you, you retire and you think, you know, the troubles of the day are behind me. Maybe you have a meal with uh, your family uh, and you, you, you get into your own bed and you say, you know, I'm safe, another day safe, all is well. And then to be roused from your sleep and to have, you know, a, a dangerous thing like this happen, it's just, it's so unsettling to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through that with an earthquake. I thought, wow, this, this was the one time a day where I thought, I'm okay. Yeah. I made it mid through the day. I drove in this crazy Los Angeles traffic. Nothing happened. You know, nobody did anything crazy to me. And, uh, you know, I managed to make it home safe and sound. And I'm lying down in my own bed. Things couldn't be more comfy. And then your world gets rattled. And I, I just can't think of how horrifying that moment was for those people in there. And uh, on one hand, you pray that people are, you know, surviving it, but uh, you also know that they're going to have trauma for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And then I think of some of those buildings that surround that, uh, how nervous people must be of thinking this, our building could be next. I don't like heights. Uh, You know, I I have a three-step ladder and that's about as high as I go anymore, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Um, and I've never liked tall buildings, uh, you know, and especially after having been caught in some earthquakes, I couldn't think of anything more frightening than being in a building that's moving. And I remember going to the top of, uh, what was then the John Hancock center yeah. in uh, Chicago and, uh, and the Sears tower. And I said, it just doesn't, it feels unsettling up here. And then somebody says, oh, well, it, the building sways. <laughs> He yeah. said, "Well, could you comforting. point this? Could you point the sway to the elevator down?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to be in a building that's 110 stories tall that sways. Now that they, doesn't sound. Yeah. Now they have that glass lookout exhibit at the top where you can step out and you're literally, you know, in a glass box no, at the top of the no. building. Same with the the one that goes out over the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I'm not able to do it. I'm yeah. not able to do it. I don't know, uh, you know, why I'm so fearful of, I can go to an airplane and it doesn't bother me at all, but you, you put me up in a building and I am not comfortable. Yeah. And if you only have a Certainly. ladder with three steps, that means you probably have dirty gutters. I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. One of them did overflow this weekend. <laughs> we had the rainstorm. And, uh, I rest my case. I actually, I go down there with a toilet snake and I just <laughs> I do it from below. <laughs> Part of me believes work. you. Part of me believes you when you say that. <laughs> All right. Who do you think I came up with the idea? You think you're making it up? I do do it. <laughs> oh, I wish we had more time or not really. Yeah. But anyway, thanks, Patrick. I'll talk to you next sure. week. Sure. Would you like some advice? I'll give you yeah, one please. advice. Make it quick. The secret to looking good for your age is to tell people you are 15 years older than you actually are. <laughs> just Appreciate that. Patrick Albanese has been sure. my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. After a short break, and I know it'll be short, we'll be back with uh, David Miles for the Monday afternoon mix. So David, Rosie, and I, and there might be a guest here today as well. So I can't wait. Be right back.
Monday, Monday, Monday. It's the Monday afternoon mix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's as deep as I can go, you guys. Try one oh. more time, Rosie. I want to hear how deep you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got work to do, girl. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to work. David's, David's number one in the yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, you're, you're number one. Yeah. If I do that reverse thing, yeah. then then maybe maybe it happens. Yeah. You know? But I'm not doing I'm not doing the deep calling it to deep, so I'm I'm sure there's much deeper out there than We have than a busy the, studio today. We do. Please say more about what's going on. Super. Well at the Monday afternoon mix. Special mon- edition. A special edition. Yes. You know, I, I think it's gonna be super special because uh, it's been like a crazy, absolutely nutty type of day today and have kind of been you know, a, a number of different things. Uh, but one of my, my neat sit-downs today was with uh, Kevin Crawford and his son Jacob. And uh, Kevin is a pastor and just a lover of God's Word, a lover of leadership and disciple-making. And uh, we we both shared a similar mentor with Dr. Bill Hamill, yeah. mm-hmm. who was president of the Free Church. And so, yeah. Who is this friend? I wish you would bring him into the studio sometime. <laughs> his name is Kevin Crawford. Oh, wait, he's here. And he's I'm here. here. Yeah. And his son, Jacob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we should have Jacob try. Jacob, you want to try? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. I'm going to turn you on. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, very good. (laughs) Well done, Jacob. Well done. Sweet. So, yeah, super, super uh, cool. We were just chatting about just... um, just God's need of, of leadership and, and, and that, you know, Bill, we talk about this, Rosie, we talk about this, that the gospel uh, is that the heart of the, the Great Commission is there. Go, therefore, and make disciples mm-hmm. of all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them, you know, everything I've commanded you. And so disciple making is so key and, and, and that we're not just spectators. God has called us to participate in this great vision. And, and this is as long as I've, I've known Kevin and had met him, um, you know, this is something that's been key to his heart. And so I'm, I'm trying to think there, there's a number of good verses out there. Uh, you know, I shared uh, Matthew 28, uh, 18 and 19. Kevin, you know, what, what's a verse that comes to mind for you? Yeah, one of my uh, life verses is 2 Timothy 2, 2. So it's, you know, 2, 2, 2. It's easy to remember, um, especially when you forget a lot of things like me. Um, but it says this, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So you see in that four generations of the gospel being transferred from Paul to Timothy to the people he's entrusted to the next generation. And so many times we think about uh, a controversy phrase that some people say is, are you a disciple if you're uh, not making disciples? And we kind of professionalize disciple making out to the clergy and pastors. And mm-hmm. and the reality is, is if God's transformed your life, you have this incredible transforming story of the good news of Jesus in you to share with others. And, and we will make mistakes uh, in doing that. That's why we have most of the New Testament, because people were making mistakes. Never thought of it that way. Yeah, Paul's yeah. letters are because churches were messing things up and people were making mistakes. And we see the grace of the gospel through his letters. But that's just to, but for us as individuals, what God has deposited in us from somebody else, 
we want to pass on. So when I was when I was in high school, I came to Christ through a ministry called Young Life, and it was a, a movement of kids sharing the gospel. So I was I was loaded in a car, heard Jesus by a guy named Dave Etling. So when I was a, a junior and senior, I was loading kids into my car, fellow students to hear about Jesus, then I was discipling them. I, I knew nothing else but to continue to train and to develop others in Christ. So I think that we, the church can grow in this, especially in this season coming out of COVID, that every, yeah. it really is, goes back to the idea of the priesthood of believers, yeah. you know, kind of that ancient phrase that we see. You know, uh, Bill, this is something like we talk about because a lot of times people think, you know, it has to be the professional person, but how often is it that, it's your neighbor. Like for me, it was my classmate who invited me to student venture and, you know, or it's the faithful person in church who just has taught Sunday school and loved on people or, you know, a number of different people. And as, uh, you know, as Kevin was saying, faithful witnesses passing on uh, to one generation to the next. Bill, who are some of the people that stand out that really in this line of four generations, like who are some of the people that were instrumental for you? Well, I go back to high school too, Kevin, because we, we formed what were called D groups, which stood for disciple groups. Yeah. And what we did was we would meet once a week for eight weeks. And I know that's not a long amount of time, but in high school, that's a long amount of time, right? And then we would, we would stop that group of four and each one of the four would break off and start their own D group. So we were trying to, uh, duplicate yes yeah. wow idea. multiply multiply yeah. exactly exactly but your your experience was so similar to mine it's like i couldn't wait to get more people in a room to talk about jesus yeah yeah, yeah i think we have to, what does it look like for the movement of jesus to be simple and reproducible so those d groups you what you learned there you just reproduced yeah, it was easy it wasn't complex yeah. it was simple and, and reproducible and you weren't asking you know even as an adult now you think we're not asking anyone to make too long of a time commitment right Eight weeks, that's not horrible. It gives you a chance just to start into that discipleship, and you can obviously continue from there, or else you can say, that was a great eight weeks. I'm going to go find three other people to go do this with now. So, Bill, what I hear both of you guys saying, because sometimes we, we think, oh, man, like I'm, so, I'm signing up for a college course uh, or like a college degree, but I'm hearing you guys say that life changed like even just simply over a few weeks of people just being committed to meet with people, love them and walk them through scripture can not only just change people's life in the present, but for eternity, but just in profound ways in the present. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see that with the the disciples. These are simple, common men, but they had been with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're uneducated, but they had been with Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. They hadn't been with the Bible. I'm not saying that, you know, but the Bible leads us to Jesus. And so many times we study the Bible as an end in itself instead of that we're, we're, we're looking into God's word to fall in love with this good and glorious and compassionate, loving Savior that leads us one step at a time. And have people say, we, you know the Bible or do they know that you've been with Jesus? Yeah, what's really sweet about what you're saying, Kevin, is this past weekend, uh, Matthew St. John, our senior pastor, at New Hope Church preached on, uh, you know, the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
and how the Pharisee just came and he's like, I thank God that I'm not like this person, you know, this tax collector, you know, here's what I do. And, you know, I got all this down and I tithe and, you know, I got my highlighters and my Bible and all those different things. And then the tax collector's back there and he wouldn't even look and he's like, you know, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, you know, and just that, 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 dispos- that disposition of just a heart humble before God and, and allowing God to use us because, you know, you know, all the Christ we bring, I mean, like we bring nothing, but, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ mm-hmm. died for us. And that's such a, a, such a powerful, powerful thing. But I, I, you know, I, I can't help but think, you know, guys, that someone's driving and, and they may have gotten an invitation from someone saying, hey, would you mind doing like a, um, a backyard camp in your neighborhood? Um, you know, would you mind like helping this week with um, camp ministries or helping with um, a basketball camp? And here, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Clarence Schuler and Dr. Gary Chapman on. And before Dr. Chapman became Dr. Chapman, <laughs> that's how he and he and Clarence met. Mm-hmm through basketball and youth, and mm-hmm. what a powerful transformation. So so someone, if you're driving right now in your car and, and God's been tapping or someone's asked you about, you know, you participating in this great adventure that God's doing, we, we want to encourage you um, in that direction and, and to hear the Lord's voice and say, yeah, because, you know, you'd be amazed at the lives that could be changed by that. Mm. Kevin, huh? talk about what you say discipleship is. I think... It, probably a, a term that we we wonder exactly what does that mean yeah a disciple is one being formed in the likeness of jesus he's you know jesus was a rabbi teacher and he was teaching the disciples they were just becoming more and more like him it was a term that was used regularly within the culture of the day a disciple it was a student uh and the greek is methetes is the disciple and so you know one who's listening to Jesus, one who's falling in love with Jesus and living in the way of Jesus. And that's not making quantum leaps. That's just taking a step ahead every time. And and sometimes we'll, we'll mess up. That's grace. We get to live in that grace of Jesus. And sometimes we, we've made discipleship a class. We've made it a section of the church. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Shane Stacy says, you know, discipleship is not an app of the church. It's the operating system of the church, mm. you know, and sometimes we've segmented that out instead of this is the, 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 what we do as the mission of the church as we make disciples. Uh, and it's simple, uh, instead of complex. So, um, yeah, I think if we miss that, then we're missing the mark of what God desires the simplicity of the church to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we're living in here in the Twin Cities, and we have people kind of throughout the nation. Um, in our world, God has provided such an opportunity to share the gospel because the nations are among us. And so, Kevin, you and your family are about to embark on a new journey of ministry and a new journey of doing this. Would you, like, share a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, I think wherever we go, uh, we are uh, living on mission as a family. And uh, part of that is we just want to listen to people around us always. So I'll get to that in just a minute. But I think as you were talking about, as people are just listening to this right now, uh, it's maybe it's not an activity. It's just who's that person that God's saying, just listen to, listen to the hearts and of that person, have a meal with them, <laughs> you know, eat with people, listen to people. And as you listen to people, then you know how to, to serve them where they're at. We can't assume how people need to be loved. We have to listen to them. 
and then eventually we get to share the story of Jesus with them. Uh, but my family and I, we're, we're going to be moving to Michigan um, at the end of this month, and I'm going to start a, a training center for young missionaries who will be going overseas. Uh, so they might have a heart for anti-trafficking or with uh, people in just different social, different situations. We want to connect that aspect of their heart with disciple making and church planting overseas with uh, Reach Global. So it's starting kind of a learning lab to train young missionaries that will be sent all over the world. And uh so it might just be 12 people that we're training, but somebody who I follow trained 12 people and turned this world upside down. Yeah. <laughs> so I get to follow in his footsteps, hopefully. So um, let me ask you guys a question. I mean, have you guys? No, no, no. I asked the question. Oh, you asked the question. Oh, yeah. You did, oh. he, he it's your first time here, Kevin. Did I didn't get the memo. You watch your step, my friend. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but I'm, I'm, you know, you say, let's listen to people. And I love that because I know that's what we got to do. But I'm always... My next question is, what are some good leading questions to get people talking so you can listen? Yeah. Well, I think it depends on the person. You know, I mean, I hang out a lot. Like my son's sitting here. We're going to go to a soccer game after this. So I'm standing on the sidelines with parents all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, a huge need of parents is how do we deal with technology? <laughs> like mm -hmm. I'm the first, I'm 46 years old. So I'm, you know, I'm in a generation who's parenting for the first time mm -hmm. with electronic devices. So that's a conversation started even on the sidelines. Like, how do you guys deal with technology in your household? Are, are your kids on their phone a lot? And it, and it just rolls Perfect. into a conversation because all parents are like, how do I deal with this? What's yeah. the, and then it's like, where are the boundaries and what, how do you bring mm. the good news into that conversation? Yeah. So what's good news to them first is how do I parent through technology? <laughs> uh, and that, and I, so I can just like Jesus healed the leopard. I'm yeah. not saying I'm healing people of technology and, I, <laughs> and I, I'm still learning as well, but it's that felt need at first. Then eventually, er, you know, earning the right to be heard. That's a, you know, a phrase from young life um, to, mm. to, to build in their life. And so asking questions like that, you know, you know, marriage, parenting. So mm -hmm. those are different ways just to get into, or even just travel sports, which is a huge, even all I have four boys in travel sports. Parents are like, I'm driving here, there and everywhere, which sports has be, you know, travel sports has become an idol of our culture. Okay. Yeah. And so even talking about travel sports as I'm on the sidelines of travel sports, right. uh, to talk about those things, those are two huge felt needs of a generation of parents standing on sidelines and, or concerts or dance competitions these days. Yeah. You listen to the Monday Afternoon Mix, and when we come back, our special guest Kevin is going to ask David and I a question. We'll find out what it is when we get back. Pastor David Miles, pastor at New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, and also adjunct professor here 
the University of Northwestern. And Rosie, you've been a little bit quiet today. but I know because I'm in a room full of men and I'm just drinking in that, all of this wisdom and it. testosterone and yeah. all of it. You have well, a lot you, of wisdom too. Yeah. <laughs> you just spoke. That's why Pro- Proverbs says lady wisdom. Exactly. There so. we go. I and would like to actually, oh, no, we were going to open this up with, yeah, Kevin's, Kevin's going to start the question. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Kevin, go ahead. All right, so you have hung out with guys and gals, and they have questions. So what happens when somebody asks you a question in kind of a discipleship or over dinner or over coffee, and you don't have the answer when it comes to faith? Oh, that's so easy. I say, what am I, the answer man? <laughs> <laughs> I just say, ask, call Bill. He's got it. No, I, I quickly will admit that I don't know how to answer that one. But I will always follow it up with, you've got me very curious. I'd love to research that. And if, you know, if I have a way of contacting you again, I will offer what I come up with. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that um, I've done is to ask, you know, like if you were asking, I'd be like, you know, Kevin, that's a great question. I'm first just wondering what made you decide to ask that question? And sometimes that gives a little bit more context to what's actually happening um, and then, like Bill said, it's okay to say you don't know. And and I would be like, you know, Kevin, actually, I, I don't have a good answer. It's a great question. I'd be, you know, happy with you to kind of look into that. So, hey, Kevin, you yeah. made a great comment during the break, and I think we should share that as well. Discipleship begins with, with hello. Yeah, discipleship begins with hello. We think that there's kind of like evangelism and then discipleship, which I understand that uh, mindset, but sometimes we dichotomize it so much. And if we just look at Jesus' life and the way he hung out with people, when did Peter actually become a Christian? <laughs> like we can't answer that by looking at the journey of Jesus with Peter or other disciples. And so I think uh, whenever we're walking with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that is far from God and spiritually inquisitive, we're discipling them towards Jesus. Now, we would ne- I would never say that I'm discipling you. That's like, that's Christian ease. Those are phrases I wouldn't use, but I'm loving them towards Jesus. And uh, it, there shouldn't be a switch that happens if someone is converted. Now it's like, now I'm discipling them. Like now it's something else because I'm always loving them towards Jesus and showing the way of life, even if they don't even know Jesus. Um, so I think that's just a, it's a, I know it's language, but it's sometimes language language shapes us. God created with words, so we must use words appropriately. So I think even the word discipleship and when that begins uh, is very interesting and uh, thought-provoking. I think those Christian words, discipleship, evangelism, they're beautiful words, but they're very Christianese. And I know that if someone had said, let's do a Bible study because we're going to evangelize our neighborhood, oh no, I would not have been even involved but let's have a book study, a Bible study. Let's go deeper. Let's figure out Jesus and our relationship. Let's see who he is as to all of us as moms. I joined that study, you know, so it was a completely different invitation and it didn't feel like it had an agenda. So sometimes I think those who are curious about Christ, we come on a little strong. Right. And I think we're so hungry for them to know the Lord. Yeah. And how many of you guys, uh, what are we going to do three times today? We're going to eat. Yeah. You know, and the average what kind of diet are you on? <laughs> the, you know, the average, the average. You know, we have 21, 21 meals a week, uh, and and if we just study meals throughout the scripture, they are sacred. I know. Mm-hmm. And the table, and not even like what would happen if we as neighbors and neighborhoods just invited people to dinner, 
And it wasn't that we're trying to present Jesus, but we asked a thought-provoking question that we build rapport and that these questions begin to roll and just there's time around the table. Something significant happens around the table. The whole of end of time with Jesus is going to be celebrated at a table. And so I think the greatest place of ministry, especially going into the next generation, maybe isn't the pulpit, but it's the dinner table. Not mm-hmm. against preaching at all, but every believer having people around their table of different creeds and likes and dislikes um, to be able to create. And if we listen to people like you guys said, I think it's so important that we say, I don't have the answers. Let's journey together with that. Let's see what the answers are because people want to ask questions. You know, Jacob, he's 11. I've got four boys, 18, 17, 15. I always want to create an atmosphere of questions, freedom of questions. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing because like, John chapter 2, Jesus is at the wedding, and, you know, it says this, these couple of verses in 23 and 25, it said he didn't entrust himself to man because he knew what was in the heart of man. But what is the thing that Jesus constantly did? He asked questions all the time. You know, who do the people say I am? You know, he knew. Well, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, whenever you draw people out and you just ask people, I think people are hungry for adult conversations about things that matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. And, and and God is big enough for questions. Even if you look throughout the, all the Psalms, you see people crying out to God, asking really tough questions. And so if I if my heavenly father is allowing me big questions to him, then we should allow big questions to us. Um, so as we follow him and the questions and we allow those questions, yeah, people are hungry for those questions. I think more, more now than ever. Yeah. Very, very, very much. So, um, last night we were doing a hobo dinner in my life group and, uh, hobo dinner, hobo dinner. Please tell me more about that. Was that like spam? So what it is, we, we get these little metal tins and they make these big patties and then we take like potatoes or yams green peppers, red peppers, onions, and we put it in that, and then uh, we put seasoning on it, and, you know, uh, Jerry and Char Hoffman, they're, they're, they were hosting our group, and they just fold them up, and then you make a fire in back and let the coals, and then you just Yum. you know, put them over that, and then we just sit and have conversation. And uh, it, at part of the evening was acknowledging one of our members' birthday, and then we just bless them, and then we pray over them. Um, but one of the guys was just like, you know, just sitting and just doing life and being in community and how much he had missed physically seeing our life group Mm -hmm. and just being able to just have conversation. And like you said, Kevin, just share a meal, you know, food and talk. And empathizing with one another, you know, it's just, you know, I think people want to share their hurts, desires and dreams and saying, yeah, I struggle with that too. You know, or sometimes we have to be vulnerable to share, hey, I'm wrestling with this. And that then that opens up a floodgate of questions and conversations with others if we create an atmosphere of vulnerability where we don't have it all together, which we don't. We only know the one who had it all together and has it all together mm-hmm. in Jesus. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if Bill or you or Kevin were the ones who shared about even the beauty of what, what's going to happen in the end with Jesus. What's, what's going to happen? Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, it was just, yeah, the whole, our story ends at a banquet table with Jesus. 
you know, and if we read, you know, if we read the gospels, we see so many things. Hey, let me come to your house and have a meal or he interrupts meals uh, because the table is sacred. Um, You know, even we talk about the Lord's Supper communion, that's always, you know, contextually happening usually around a dinner table and then just celebrating together. And so... Yeah, you know, an acronym, I, it was not mine, a guy, uh, Steve, uh, the Ferguson brothers in Chicago, you know, the acronym BLESS, to love on people, begin with prayer, listen with people, listen to people and Jesus, eat with people, and as you eat with them, you learn how to serve them, and then you learn to share your story, the BLESS acronym. What is the first B? B, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. L is listen to listen. people and to, and to the Holy Spirit as you're, and you do that over a meal usually, okay, or a coffee. And as you listen and eat with them, you know how to serve them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of earn the right to be heard to be able to share your story of Jesus with them. Now, it's not, that's a very linear process. Life is not linear. It's messy. <laughs> but at least it's, it's, at least it's stepping stones. It's handholds of how we love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. So, well, you know, Kevin, you, you've, you've done that with uh, our listening audience, bless them. And I guess like for, for the person who's, who's maybe driving in their car, listening at home, or they're out on a run or gardening. Um, and they've kind of thought of, you know, this whole COVID things on earth things and, and, you know, and thought about church as a building and all those, those things, but not really knowing Jesus as savior. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I would say you want to, uh, read the book of Mark and look how much Jesus loves you and the story of Jesus towards you. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Blessings to you, Kevin, and family as you travel to relocate to Michigan Thank at the you. end of this month, right? Yes. Well, the month is almost up. So well, the end of July. Sorry. End of July, I'm yeah. Jumping ahead. Okay, yeah. You kind of threw me off there. Yeah, I was like, are you, <laughs> you leaving after the show? <laughs> Thank you for this. is the yeah. last thing you did here in Minnesota. Nice to have you here. We'll take a little break. That is all for the Monday Afternoon Mix. Thank you, Pastor David Miles and Rosie and Kevin and Jacob, who are here in studio. After a short break, we'll be back with Hour 2. We're going to start with uh, Pastor John Fonts is going to be talking about joy. I think we could all use a little of that. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.